Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. From near the beginning of time, humanity has been stained by sin. Sin is the rebellion or wrong we engage with that is against God's desires and against his best for us. Sin is the reason we can't measure up to God's perfection. Sin is the reason we see hatred, violence and death in this world. And sin causes a rift between us and our creator that we cannot fix. The word tells us that because of sin, we became darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God. We also read that the wages, the payment and consequence of sin is death. Like a bloodstained shirt that needs throwing out, such became our souls when sin entered the world. To reconnect with God again, people would need to be atoned for. To be atoned for meant to be covered, to be forgiven, to be made right. But atonement wasn't clean or easy. Atonement was bloody. Because to be atoned for, to be forgiven, the sinner needed a substitute to take their punishment. Someone or something to take that wage of death that their sin deserved. For the word says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But the atoning sacrifice couldn't be just anyone or just anything. It needed to be someone or something sinless, something perfect. It needed to be someone or something unblemished by sin or defect. If not, the sacrifice wouldn't be worthy and it wouldn't work. Naturally, no human was eligible to substitute for another because all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. That's why when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, when they first disobeyed God, the first act of disobedience ever recorded in history, we read that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. To this point in history, nothing had ever died. But two perfect animals were sacrificed that day to cover Adam and Eve. They were the first of anything in all history to die. And they died because of sin. They died because sin needed to be atoned for. This set a precedent, a rule for all time, that a perfect sacrifice would always be needed to make right for sin. If we fast forward to the 13th century BC, the Israelites, God's people, had been enslaved in Egypt for generations. But God triumphantly led them out of Egypt through a man called Moses. They embarked on a journey through the wilderness of Sinai towards a promised land that God desired to give them. But despite these great blessings, God was still at a distance from his people. Anywhere his presence was, they had to stay away or they would die. When his presence descended at Mount Sinai, he had to tell people to stay away from the mountain. Do not even touch the mountain or you will die. When he led the Israelite camp 
as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. People couldn't go near those pillar of, pillars of cloud and fire. If they did, they would die because that was the presence of the holy God and they were sinful people. The blood stain of sin still remained in them. If you and I had have been there at that time, it would have been exactly the same for us. Eventually, God instructed people to build him a physical dwelling place. This would be a signal to the Israelites and to all nations of the world that God was among these Israelite people, that his presence was among them. This portable dwelling place became known as the tabernacle, sometimes referred to as the tent of meeting. And later, when the Israelites reached that promised land, they would build a temple, which was based on the same design. Wherever the Israelite people went, the tabernacle was set up in the middle of the camp. When set up, God's glory would descend and rest on it like a cloud because it was a holy place. But although God's presence was among them, that tabernacle still represented a distance between God and his people. Why? Because only certain people were allowed in that tabernacle. All Israelites and foreigners that were living among them were allowed in the tabernacle courtyard, outside the actual tent. Here, they would come and present animal sacrifices regularly, daily, weekly, monthly, to atone for their sins over and over and over again. This was the legal requirement to make amends for their sin. The second part of the tabernacle was called the holy place. It was the first larger room of the tent part of the tabernacle, the actual tabernacle, tabernacle itself. But only the priests were allowed in this section. They would come and they would perform worship rituals. They would burn incense. They would sing songs. They would light candles. The final and most sacred part of the tabernacle was called the holy of holies or the most holy place. It was the second smaller room of the tabernacle and only the high priest was allowed in. It was most holy because it was where the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence dwelt. The Ark of the Covenant was a large, a large gold vessel which contained the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the stone tablets that God had given to the Israelites upon Mount Sinai that had the laws on them. Those stone tablets represented the covenant between God and his people. And that covenant was where God committed to bless them and to love them if they committed to remain faithful to him. Those tablets went on to become the basis of God's law that required Israel's obedience for that covenant to stay true. Those tablets were in the Ark of the Covenant. They were holy tablets and it was a holy ark. Atop the ark was a lid with two large golden angels sculpted on it called cherubim, representing holiness in heaven. Because this was a holy lid, it was known as the atonement cover, or as more modern translations put it, the mercy seat. God's presence would manifest just above that mercy seat. And so the mercy seat really kind of put a covering between a covering of mercy between God's presence and the law. Importantly, a thick curtain or veil separated the most holy place from the rest of the tabernacle 
and therefore the rest of the Israelite camp and the rest of the people. This signaled that divide between holy God and sinful humanity in physical form. Not even the holy priests were allowed to go in whenever they chose. The only one who could go in at any point was the high priest and anyone else that entered would die. But even then the high priest could only enter through that curtain to the most holy place one day per year. In other words, one day per year, a glimpse of God's glory, not God himself, but just a glimpse of his glory was accessible to just one person on one day per year. No other person in the world would catch that glimpse. And that one day became the most holy day in the Israelite calendar, a day known as Yom Kippur, even still today. But we refer to it as the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day that all Israel looked forward to. Because normally individuals made sacrifices to atone for their own sins, day after day, week after week, time after time. But on the Day of Atonement, the high priest made sacrifices to atone for the sins of the entire nation. Leviticus chapter 16 tells us how this worked. Firstly, two goats were selected from the whole nation of Israel to be sacrificed. They had to be the most pure and perfect animals from the entire land of Israel. The high priest would take and present these two goats at the entrance of the tabernacle. And one goat would be chosen to be slaughtered on the altar to atone for the sins of all the people. We read that the high priest shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain into the most holy place. He shall then sprinkle it on the atonement cover, put blood on the mercy seat. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time the high priest goes in to make atonement for the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the entire community of Israel. So for the sins of the nation to truly be atoned for, that high priest needed to not just slaughter the animal, but put the blood of the animal on the mercy seat. Then the other live goat became the scapegoat. And we read that the high priest would lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. This symbolically transferred the sin of the nation to that perfect, innocent animal. He shall then send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins into a remote place. So in this process of slaughtering one goat and sending another away, Israel's sins were symbolically both destroyed and banished. But there were two big problems. This should have been good news. This should have been a good thing. This should have been a positive. But there were two big problems with the Day of Atonement. Firstly, it was only Israel's sins being atoned for. The whole world was still at need. We were still in need. And secondly, even after the Day of Atonement, year after year after year, God was still separate from the people, still separated by that curtain, that veil, because there was no eternal cleanse. The curtain in the tabernacle and the temple remained as did the stain of sin in all of our lives because animal sacrifices 
are only temporary measures. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament wrote that the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again and again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The Day of Atonement started out as a joyous occasion, but after centuries of repetition, it had become sad. Because it, the Day of Atonement itself, as well as the entire system, actually highlighted sin. It didn't change it. That's because God was actually using that system and that day to show that something far greater was needed. Humanity didn't need another day of atonement with goats. Rather, the world needed a new, final, true day of atonement. A day where a truly perfect sacrifice was offered, not an animal. A day of atonement where the sacrifice would die once for all people, not just Israel, and once for all time, not to be repeated again and again and again. A sacrifice whose blood could truly take away sin. And so, over a thousand years after the very first day of atonement, God sent his one and only son. God sent Jesus not just to Israel, but to the world. Despite living a perfect life and being innocent, Jesus was sentenced to die, and his death was on a crucifix. A crucifix was a Roman instrument of torture, of mockery, and of execution. But the word tells us that this was all a part of God's plan. It tells us that it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will to crush Jesus and cause him to suffer. Because God was presenting Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Unlike sacrifices of the past, Jesus was the truly perfect sacrifice because he had never sinned, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Unlike sacrifices of the past, Jesus was the truly powerful sacrifice because the blood he spilled was not the blood of an animal. It was the holy, perfect blood of God, 1 Peter 1.18-19. And just as the blood of, sacrifice, of the sacrifices in the tabernacle were put on the mercy seat to cleanse the entire nation. The perfect blood of Jesus poured down his body as he became a covering and atoning sacrifice of the world. The mercy seat of all humanity forevermore. He was our perfect sacrifice. This was our day of atonement forever. In the past, the sins of Israel were put on the first goat, which was slaughtered. But on the day of Jesus' death, we read that the Lord God laid on him the sins of us all as he was slaughtered on the cross. In the past, the sins of Israel were put on the second goat to be sent away. But the Bible tells us that the result of Jesus' execution 
was that God has removed our sins now as far as the east is from the west because in him alone we have redemption. That means atonement through his blood, the forgiveness of sins forever. Isn't that great news? I might be a bit husky tonight, but I promise you I'm excited right now. But I want to conclude today on the last and greatest impact of all. Matthew 27, 50 to 52 reads, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice as he was on the cross dying, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Church, at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain that represented separation between God and humanity was torn forever. Because Jesus had taken away the sin that caused the separation. He had taken it upon Himself so that we wouldn't have to. This tear signaled that the separation between humanity and God was ended in perpetuity. His presence would now be available and on offer and accessible to every single person on the planet. Not just Israel, not just to the high priest once a year, but to all of us. This offer was sealed with His death, but it was made available by His resurrection. So whilst we mourn tomorrow, we mourn Good Friday, the death of our wonderful Saviour, the pain, the excruciating agony He felt on the cross as a crown of thorns was placed on His head and nails were hammered into His arms, into His hands and His feet. We mourn this and we should, but we eagerly await His triumphant resurrection. We eagerly await Easter Sunday. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.